How we doing, hockey fans? And welcome to episode number 75 of Marty's Illegal Stick Hockey Podcast, recording here on Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. 75 episodes. I can't believe it. We made it 75. Isn't there some kind of like special anniversary for the 75th? I don't, well, yeah, silver anniversary. No, what is that? I don't that know. That was what a it diamond is. anniversary. No, was it? Something. <laughs> you didn't give me a diamond, did you? You, you finally <laughs> done more episodes than I've done years. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's yeah. saying something. Yeah. Now that's staying power. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, well, we have got an awesome show lined up for you. And before I bring our guest in, um, Jeremy's not going to, well, he might be here a little later on. He's got lacrosse practice with his kids, so he's going to try to get here. Um, I tell you, that kid runs, that guy runs from practice to practice to practice. Yeah. You know, but hey, good for him. I We've mean, heard it before. Hey, absolutely. You know, and and actually, his kid's a heck of an athlete. So I mean, that's oh, good. So you know, good for him. But as always, by my side, I have my trusty producer, the man who always pushes all the right buttons and pushes mine sometimes as well. <laughs> I try, Mr. Dave the Save Warner. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. Fantastic. Yeah, you ready for this or what? I'm ready for this. All right, this will be a good show. It is. It's going to be a lot of fun I know. because. Yep. Making his return appearance. This is like the third time he's been on this show. We just love having him on. He is the, well, he's an Either that expert. or you can't get anybody else. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. I'll tell you, and this is, a, <laughs> well, I could have just sat here but, with you the whole time, uh, yeah, right? This is true. Yeah. Hey, I carried your butt last time, so. Well, you know, we'll have to talk about that later on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, geez. Uh, boy, anyways, he is, uh, to me, he is an AHL expert. There is no doubt in my mind about that. Uh, he's the co-host of the Calder Farmstead, an AHL podcast, and the only guy that I know that does analytics for the AHL. It's Mr. Sean O'Brien. Sean, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, it's always fun coming on with you guys, talk about the Utica Comets and beyond. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, it's been – it's. It's been a long season. There are definitely things that I uh, was talking with uh, Cece about where it's like, that was this season still. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, it's, it's, you forget because it's been so long since we've had a full regular season that it's, it's a grind. But like, the playoffs are here. I'm super excited. We've had some, uh, some wild games already. Two have already went into overtime. So, absolutely. It looks like it's going to be a really fun playoff. And, and you did, you guys have, have your preview show out now yourselves. Yep, we uh, we put that out a couple of days ago. Um, did all of the first round series? Uh, we didn't pick a full bracket just because it gets real messy, as we'll yeah. probably get to. I wanted to initially uh, for like some of the analytics stuff I do, program the full bracket in, and it, then I realized that that means I would have to program every single possible Calder Cup matchup, of which there are hundreds, and that was where I was like, and. No. Yeah. I'll be here until the 2025 season for that. <laughs> yeah, I was like I, I think it, I think I ran the the math it was like there are like over 400 possible Calder Cup combinations for the final and I'm like nope, that's not that's a nope. Yeah, not well, doing that. Well, especially now we pretty much have an expanded playoff field as well. Oh yeah, cuz it's basically any one of the teams in the East can play any one of the teams at West, in the West theoretically. So like you have to have that all, you know, and I was like no, I'm not doing that. I'm yeah. not. <laughs> I, I labor of love as this is, that is where I draw the line and how yeah. much I'm willing to dedicate my time. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I'll tell you, just for our listeners' sake, where are they going to find your analytics work? Uh, so all of my analytics work you can find uh, on my Tableau page. The easiest way to get there is uh, this link, bit.ly slash data dump and chase, all lowercase, all one word. Uh, if you go to our Linktree page for the podcast, you can also find it there. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash the Calder Farmstead. 
uh, that has all the places you can find our podcast, YouTube, uh, a million different podcast places. Uh, that also has all our social media there. And at the very bottom is the link to all of my analytic stuff uh, that just got updated this morning with um, the roster updates that came out, as well as uh, updating the Bakersfield series probabilities. They're 76.6% after winning game one. <laughs> well, that's a best of three series, I think, right? Yep. They're all, all the first round yeah. best of three. So it's a, you know, there's no room to slip. No, no, you can't. And I'll tell you, just before we, we move on to that, uh, I did put that on our, our homepage too, on martysillegalstick.com because I, and I put the link to your first top, the, the analytics episode, because that helped me so much try to understand some of this because I think I, I've told you before, I mean, as far as like analytics go until listening to some of your stuff, <laughs> I went plus minus, And that was like the extent of my analytics because I just, you know, I was never good at math by the way. So <laughs> That's, oh, I think the the fun the most fun of this season has been seeing everyone try and do the points percentage thing <sighs> and realizing like wow a lot of us are really bad at math like <laughs> I'm bad at math but I pro like I at least understand like how math should work and I program the computer to do it for me so it doesn't make you know three plus two is six kind of mistakes <laughs> but like the number of people who are like trying to galaxy brain just points percentage this year was absolutely hilarious I. And I mean, I was one of them at some points too. So like, it, it was definitely uh, an adventure this year. But yeah, math is math is something that's helpful. Uh, you know, when you don't have to do it yourself. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you, I was so glad when the AHL started putting out those playoff primers every day. Just so it was like the cheat sheet. <laughs> like they were useful in some senses, but they were also I felt like like there was too much there in some places where they were. Cause like, I didn't like the magic numbers. Cause it's like everything affected it. It wasn't just right. you win X number of games you get in. It was like, all right, well, uh, Tucson's to magic number to win, you know, the, the, or the entire league is like 108. I'm like, well, that <laughs> you just, just say, no, they can't like, I, that's kind of why we started doing the, the playoff graphs in the first place. Cause it's like, I think people really just want to see what are the chances that we make it. Don't tell me 13 is the number. I don't know what that means. How like how likely are we? And I think that's still a point of contention in Hartford where they saw that they were like 90, 97 point something to make it on the initial graph. And then they just. Yeah, man. Oh, man. Talk about just dropping off. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> but anyways, let's uh, let's dive into that North Division, because I know that's a, a lot of our listeners are uh, waiting with bated breath. Uh, so the, the North Division playoffs actually start tonight. Uh, with uh, Belleville and Rochester, they have the best of three play-in series, and they will be pl the winner of that will be playing the Utica Comets, of course, and the other series is the Laval Rocket versus the Syracuse Crunch. So before we get to the Comets and all that, let's start breaking down a little bit. The uh, let's talk about the Belleville Rochester series first. What do you like? Yeah. Um, well, I think initially in our preview, I picked Belleville, and that was because we thought Michael Delzada was going to be there, no problem. That's not the case. And that is a very, like that swung things, I think almost 7% in the, the model in terms of like, who is the favorite there? Because Michael Delzato does not belong in the AHL. He is right. legitimately too good. He was like a point per game defenseman for his time in the AHL. Like losing him was a huge loss for Belleville's chances. So now I kind of think I'm swinging back to Rochester, but that series is going to be one that, is very, I think is going to be very close. And it's two teams that play very different styles and are looking to do very different things. But I think too, it's like 
it's it's easier, I think, to dismiss Rochester a little bit because we've thought about like how they've looked kind of down the stretch. But it's like this is not going to be that same team. This is a Rochester team that got reinforcements from Buffalo, is finally healthy with its you know its entire roster. It would actually want to have available available, and I, I think that's going to change a lot of you know the way that they're what they're able to do, and they're going to be able to get back to when they were just you know, racing teams up and down the ice. And I think that's going to be exciting, but I think it's, I, I think I'm going to s- switch picks from our preview now that uh, Delzato is out and I'm going to pick Rochester, but it's close. Like it's, it's a series that is going to very likely go to three games and be uh, like, I, I could see all three games in double OT, you know, something like that. So it's, it's going to be real close. Um, I think our X factor was uh, Philip Gustafson. Because mm-hmm. he very much seemed to fit the profile for Belleville of a goalie who could just like who is talented is a good goalie, but you don't really think of as being like one of the best in the league and on the cusp of an NHL stardom, but like someone who fits the profile of he could very much just turn it up a notch, find another gear, and carry Belleville through the playoffs. Like I don't know if uh, you guys watched the Belleville Toronto game that got Rochester into the playoffs, but like. Philip Gustafson stole that game for them. And he's had a couple others this season where he's just flat stolen games. So like, I think if Belleville wins, you're going to hear it's because Gustafson was the guy and he just robbed Rochester left, right, and center. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Comets fans don't like him very much from April because uh, Belleville beat them convincingly actually twice this, this month. It was Gustafson that was in that for both games and, and he was stellar there too. Uh, you know, I'll yeah. be honest with you. I had Rochester written off when they dropped those the games against Cleveland. I'm like, oh, that's it. They're done. That you know. Yeah. But it's so it, that just tells you just how close that North Division really was all season long. And yeah. I'm gonna tell you something. Getting Peyton Krebs is huge. Right. Like they needed any more help on on offense. Right? Oh yeah. I mean, but like Krebs too is a good 200 foot player. He's not like an offense only player. Whereas Jack Quinn is a 90% offense only player. Like right. he plays defense in a very lip service way. And that's okay because he can score at ridiculous rates. Like I've said for the longest time, I'm like, you can opt out of defense if you can score point per game or better, or, you know, uh, if you can score uh, six goals in 10 games, like if you can give me that level of offensive production, I really don't care if you play defense. We can find four other guys to play defense for you if you can do that. But like, if you can't do that, or if you're below that, nope, you got to play defense. Like that's, and Jack Quinn is very much meets that bar. But like Krebs also is an unbelievable player. But like both him and Paterka are 200 foot guys, <laughs> whereas Jack Quinn's like a 125 foot guy. And that's, <laughs> that's fine. He can do the offensive things they can't, and I think that balances out. But there are definitely moments where. Like I've seen him go unplugged controller on an incredibly important back check that led to a, like a goal and a one goal, a game that finished them losing by one. It's like, okay, those moments, maybe yeah. just make it look like you pretend that you care. <laughs> Defensive yeah. zone. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> I tell but you like, though. That, oh, that, sorry. That's been Rochester's biggest problem the whole year is that like, they're able to fly up and down the ice, but in their own zone, they they lacked a defensive aspect that we've had that kind of lockdown ability. Like they didn't have a defenseman that really played like your traditional stay at home defenseman guy. And then they got Mark Alt at the deadline, which was a yes, it was amazing move. Like that is exactly who they needed. Like, or that's exactly the type of player they needed. Like I still think Mark Alt has something to contribute, but he is definitely 
on the outside looking in in terms of you know prime of his career uh but i still think he was a, a, like probably the best piece they could have acquired that day uh that's that's definitely given them somewhat of a lift in the defensive zone but they still need like krebs is huge in that aspect is he's going to come back and play defense but that's been that's been what's been plagued rochester all most of the season is their defensive effort and they also have not gotten great goaltending but i think you know that's a little column a column b you know you can't separate the goalie from the team that plays in front of him well right. they're not getting it right now because they're behind two to nothing according to barry yeah. rochester is yeah oof oof well there's that goaltending you were talking about yeah <laughs> it, and uh uh got hurt like i think right before the end of the season so it's like they have aaron dell and dell is still a viable goalie in this league um and he's played well at times too this year but like yeah, I, if I'm Utica, I'm rooting for Rochester because I feel like they have a better chance of beating Rochester. I think they're the favorite no matter what, uh, whoever they end up playing in the next round. But like, I I would much rather see uh, Rochester if I'm Utica because that's a team where I feel like no matter what happens, we're not out of the game. Whereas like with Gustafson and Belleville and a much more stout defensive structure, if you you know you go down by two against Belleville you might not get back. Whereas you go down by two against Rochester. No, you still have a chance. Right. Yeah. And you're exactly right. Just because of the porous defense that Rochester plays. And, you know, I mean, even if it turns into a track meet, the Comets can certainly have the, the firepower to keep up with Rochester. Uh, you mentioned Philip Gustafson from Belleville. Are there any other players on Belleville that can be a real difference maker, uh, not only in the Rochester series, but going forward as well? Oh, for sure. Igor Sokolov uh, has been yeah. a, a absolute like coming out party the last uh, uh this season and uh, i i think he scored one of the goals already for belleville tonight i was watching a little bit before uh, we got started here i want to say he scored one of the goals um he's been huge for them um jake lucini has been most of their offense this season it seems like he doesn't lucini i don't feel like sticks out every time he's on the ice but then when like there's a nifty play or something like that get uh or a belleville scores and you're like oh wow who is that it's, it's jake lucini like he's plays a lot more subtle of a game it's not you know as uh dynamic or as sexy as like holtz is but he he definitely gets the job done um on belleville too uh andrew agazino oh we talked earlier in the season about him and how i didn't feel like they utilized his skill set well he's still someone that is dangerous uh he is uh still a very talented scorer in this league but i don't feel like the way that they put him, the positions that they put him in with the way they structure their offense, especially how they structure their power play. Mm -hmm. I don't think Agazino has gotten a fair shake. He's not a good fit for, I feel like the way that they've uh, utilized him, but he's still someone that you can't just lose track of in the offense in the defensive zone. If you're Utica. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, Zach's initial must have been pretty good for him since he came over as well. Yeah. That was a surprising move. I know. Like, that... I, I was not right. expecting uh boston to to move him it seemed like he was someone that they were married to for life because if they got rid of him that was admitting that they should have taken uh barzell yep and like i don't think they're ever going to do that i think they're just going to it st stick in that mistake that they made the right choice for the rest of their lives but no that was that was surprising and belleville too has had like a lot of guys kind of come and go this season that had like we thought would work like wilkie uh has not quite worked out as well for them Cole Sherwood, they sent away, although that one looks smarter now because he really hasn't done much in Milwaukee either. But uh, yeah, Zach Tennyson's been decent for them so far. Uh, he, 
I, I was kind of hoping when I saw him get moved that like the change of scenery would spark something for him because it just seemed like he was treading his he was treading water in, yeah. in with Boston. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you're right. That's a classic example right there of a guy who needs a change of scenery. Just one last closing thought on is uh, did Mad Sogard come back to, to Belleville for the playoffs? Ooh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, because I know he was in Ottawa, and I just I meant to look that up today, and I just being at work, I, I had to actually work. <laughs> so what, is, I, I what a, is that like? I didn't get a chance to look. <laughs> I don't see it on the board, so I'm going to say no. I think in this game that they are not having him on the bench. So if he's not on the bench, he's right. definitely not there. Ah, yeah, yeah so it's, it's, it's Mandelizzi and Gustafson. So if he's not on the bench, if he's yeah. not even getting backup dressed, then I doubt he's he's going to be a factor. Mandelizzi, too, like another another goalie I feel like could be could you know use the, the playoffs here as a, a coming out party for him. Um, if he gets in games, we'll, we'll see if they decide to rotate, if they're just going to ride Gustafson, I would ride Gustafson, but you know, you never know whatever he wants. Well, obviously two in a three games, you're definitely going with the hot hand. I mean, if, you know, if Gustafson comes, comes out and, and does really well against Rochester, there's absolutely no reason that he won't start game two. So let's talk about, uh, Laval and Syracuse, two teams that kind of went in the opposite directions. Uh, yeah, towards the end of the season, it looked like for a while there, Laval was completely on fire. Um, you know, we didn't think they were going to catch the Cowboys, but boy, they were making it interesting for a little while. And then they kind of really kind of got cold. And in their place, the Syracuse Crunch got hotter than a firecracker, and they actually leapfrogged into second place. So now those two teams are facing each other. Uh, let's talk about that one. Who do you like there? Oh, that, that series is two teams that I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on and they shouldn't like the, the I'm, I'm, I, I like Laval by like the tiniest of margins. And that's strictly because uh, Syracuse sent back Nash. If Syracuse got to keep uh, yeah, Nash, Nash, that that's, I might stick with, I might take Syracuse in that series over uh, Laval, but like both of those teams are very, very good. Um, and I think that's it's funny too because we called uh, Syracuse getting to turn around a little bit because when we started digging into their numbers, it was like they have guys that are very good that are shooting like below five percent, and that's unfathomable. Like I think at one point in the season, Alex Barry Boulay was shooting like three percent. Right. And right. I remember when I saw that, I'm like, well, that that can't stay. That will absolutely not last because that kid can rip pucks. And then, like, in two weeks later, when I checked back in, he'd scored, like, seven goals in the meantime. I'm like, yep. <laughs> Nailed that was. one. <laughs> Called it. But, like, Syracuse is – Syracuse and Laval are both two very good teams. Like, if I were Utica, I'd be like, I don't want to play either of them. Can we Can we actually let them play Belleville? And we'll take another bye in the hopes that, like <laughs> – <laughs> That's a good one. Because those are those are those are two teams that I feel like are, are real dark horses. I mean, Laval has – a guy that doesn't belong in the league in Cedric Paquette. He has nine goals, I think in 14 games. That's he does not belong in this league, but like he's going to stay in Laval and he's going to, you know, uh, probably make a couple of teams or a couple of defensemen look ridiculous in these playoffs. And now that too, they don't have to worry about Montreal. They're, you know, their season right. is done. They have, they are at full strength. They have all the Utes back. They got everything. They're, 
they're a team that looks very dangerous on paper and their coach, I mean, still a first year guy, but has at times really impressed me. Although I think the the biggest factor for them is that we don't cover them from the podcast because they are one and eight in games that we covered them this year. <laughs> Did you get the official letter? Please don't call us. Please like, don't it, cover it was, us. Don't talk about us. <laughs> it was, and we said this on the show. It's like, this is getting ridiculous where it's like every time, you know, we cover Laval, we prep, we watch, you know, some of their previous games, we dig in on some of the player shifts. And it's like, every time it's like, yeah, this team looks great. Like they look really good. They have a couple of flaws here and there, but like overall, this is a good team. And then we, you know, we preview them in the weekends as a good team. And then we get to the games and they crap the bed in two, in the two games. That we them. <laughs> and we have to report, it's like, yeah, we talked them up for nothing again. Like they were terrible this weekend. And it's like, it, it just kept happening. Literally we covered them uh, in eight games this season. They were one and eight in those games. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, but, you know, I'll tell you the the devils actually did Laval a favor when they traded Nate Schnarr to the Canadians for the Hamburglar. I mean, that was, you know, disappointing to us fans up in here in Utica. Understood why they did it because they were in such dire straits in their goaltending situation. But man, it was, you know, Nate Schnard is not going to put up 50 points in a season, but he's one of those guys to me is just, he's very underrated for the game that he plays. He's a full 200 foot player. He can be real pesty when he wants to be, you know, that's, you know, that's the kind of guy you need in the playoffs. No doubt. Uh, standout players from Laval that you think are going to, if they win, make the difference. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, Cedric Paquette is a, a weapon at this level. Like right. that's a dude that is going to make a difference. Um, another one, Raphael Harvey Pennard, uh, he's been excellent for them this season. A little bit of a coming out party for him. He had 21 goals this year. Um, Jesse uh, Ulanen, uh, it's, he's another one that I feel like when you look at his just raw point totals, it seems incredibly low. Like every time he's on the ice, I feel like he's doing something. He is part of the solution for Laval. And he started to put it together a little bit earlier and or started to put it together about midway through the season, spent some time in Montreal and looked good there. It wouldn't shock me to see him kind of uh, take his game to another level and have a little bit of a coming out party for anyone who hasn't kind of closely followed the rocket this year. Um, I'm waiting for Kevin Waugh to look like Kevin Waugh. He yeah. is like, He's been someone who's been about a point of game player for multiple seasons now. And this year, like I would have thought, you know, coming to your home team, home market, like he's, you know, he's definitely going to blow it up. He's never been more motivated to succeed, you know, in this Jersey. And now he's been kind of like just okay-ish. And I understand, you know, he hasn't, he's gotten shuffled around in lines a little bit as there've been call-ups. He hasn't gotten to play, you know, top line minutes, top power play unit. But like, I, I think he's someone who I could see being one of those like KG old veterans that it's like, all right, it's playoffs time now. And the switch is flipped. We're, <laughs> we're going. So he's someone else. I like their blue line is, I think probably the only part of Laval where it's like, nobody's really terrible, but nobody really is like, Oh, that's like, they don't have that on the blue line. They just have like six good dudes. Nobody right. that's, you know, standing out um, overall on top of that. Like, I like Belpedio. I like Xavier Olette, but like neither of them are the game changers. Like you would say for pocket. They also, I mean, they have probably the most, uh, like underrated, underrated, under the radar, uh, goaltender too in Kevin Poulin. Like, I mean, that's a dude who started the season in the ECHL got called up for two games in the vault. They sent him back down. They called him back up again. They sent him back down to the ECHL. And then finally they called him up a third time 
and they let him, you know, take the starters reins because they literally had no choice. Like everyone else was injured or in Montreal. So they're like, well, it's either him or we're pulling dudes off of, you know, the, the street corner to come play goal for us. And he thrived. Kevin, uh, like Kevin Poulin is, uh, an, has put on a performance this year and in front of a Laval defense that maybe has not been the greatest at times. And it, it seemed like it never mattered. He never got rattled. He just kept stopping pucks. And it was, I mean, I, I know I was a couple of times. I'm like, okay, yeah, he's played great for these 10 games, these 15 games, but like, come on, the guy wasn't that good in the ECHL. He hasn't been that good in prior seasons. Like it's going to fall apart. Right. Right. And I kept waiting for that moment. <laughs> and here I am like three months later, still waiting for that moment. Yeah. No doubt. And, and you know what? They had that like that, car- that carousel goal going on in goal for a while there. I mean, when you had McNiven and it was just injury after injury for him. And, you know, good for Poulon. He he stepped up and he took his, you know, took his spot on that team, really. And they still have Caden Primo as well. So with, with that series starting Friday, it's going to be interesting to see who gets the nod. It, it is. I'm like, I if it's me, I'm starting Kevin Poulin. Like, that's not a question for me. Mm-hmm. I have never been on the Caden Primo is like the next logical successor to carry price train. I know a lot of fans who are like, no, he's, he's going to be, uh, you know, the next in line of like, historic Montreal Canadiens goaltenders and at every moment I've been like okay yeah he's good like he's probably going to be an NHL starting goaltender but like I don't see it I'm not I'm not a goaltending expert goalies are very weird and I never played goal so like I've had to do a lot of work and reading and stuff trying to figure out like basics about goaltending and even with my limited knowledge of goaltending every time I see him play it's like he's good but he doesn't do the things that you that separate a good goaltender at this level from a great goaltender and yeah he's still young he's like 22 but this is going to be his fourth ahl season and i have yet to really feel like i've seen the magic on a consistent basis from him whereas like kevin poulin has the magic right now he may Mm -hmm. not you know he may be renting the magic but he got it (laughs) and i think if you're starting caden primo over him in the playoffs that's a mistake but because Poulin is not really a prospect that Montreal is looking at and Caden Primo is their heir apparent, I think that's the direction they go. But we'll see. Yeah, no doubt. And I'll tell you, anytime I've ever tried to have anything to do with goaltending, be it, you know, ball hockey or whatever, I just prayed, prayed that the thing hits me. Because that's, yep. that's my, my theory. Just hit me. I don't care because <laughs> I'm not going to make a save. Just hit me. <laughs> I know. Even I know that. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, Mario Lemieux over here, but that's a... Another story for another time. But, but uh, I tell you, Syracuse has a goaltender that, in my opinion, this hot streak for them started when they finally decided that they were going to stick with Max Legacy in goal. Because it, it just seemed, because, I mean, here in Utica, we they, the crunch and the comments played each other 14 times. Certainly no strangers to each other, for sure. So, anyways, uh with Legacy in, they actually were a much better team. But for some reason, it seemed like, especially earlier in the season, they had like this obsession with Hugo Alnafelt, which I can never figure out, but it is what it is. What do you think about that? I mean, I, I get that because Max Max Legacy at this point in his career is who he is. Like right. he's he's an older veteran goaltender and like he's still very capable. He's a very capable goaltender. Uh, but like Alnafelt is the future for Tampa. So is uh, Amir Miftahov, like both of them kind of to mixed results. Like Alnafelt struggled a little bit this year, um, but uh, I, I still like, he has the raw tools to be a very successful goaltender in the AHL and beyond. A lot of it is just 
you know, improving small things with him. So like, it, it didn't surprise me that Syracuse was there to try and, you know, let him work through it in game scenarios. That's what you should be doing to develop sure. goaltenders. But like, yeah, it, it, when, when they started to need to make a playoff push, it, it wasn't surprising to me that they went with the goalie who was just had better results this year. They needed to win games to get the, into the playoffs goaltender and who, you know, giving them uh, a better chance at that. Like long-term, I think Hugo Allnafelt's going to be maybe not a star goaltender, but I think that's a, a guy who is an NHL future um, because his athleticism combined with that size is not something that you can teach. Well, you could teach athleticism to an extent, but like go- goalies that are as big as he is don't right. typically move that well. And uh, every goalie coach I've ever talked to and asked about when it's like, all right, would you rather have the most technically proficient goaltender, but like with a beer gut, or would you rather have, you know, a freak athlete who doesn't understand how to make saves? And it's every time without a doubt, it's give me the freak athlete. I can build, you know, a foundation, uh, a technical structure. I can't teach a dude to be, you know, six foot four and move like Superman. Right. Right. And that, that's a very good point. It, it really is. Uh, so, I mean, we, we know all about Bray Blue. We know about Charles Houdon. We know about Gabe Duma. We know about Sean Day, who's had another excellent season. Anybody else on the crunch that we should be looking out for? That's a good one because that's that's a I've really liked Gage Gonzalez this year. Yeah. He's someone who I think has been a little bit under the radar. Like he's another one that has a lot of good raw tools, but hasn't quite put everything together. But he shows up in like spurts where like every once in a while he'll score like some amazing goal and you're like where has this been the rest of this time like you could do this the whole time kind of uh, a goal i think he's someone who's been uh kind of kind of sneaky this year darren radish has not been as as dominant a defenseman as i would have thought he would have been this year so he's someone and he's another you know a, another veteran who i could see having that kind of switch in him where it's like okay yeah but now it's playoff time and right you know, I, I could see that from him. Otto Sampi, another one that's been very disappointing for Syracuse this year, where he's, I think, been a healthy scratch a couple times. I don't know if he gets it together in this postseason, but like I've seen it, I saw it last season. He was much, much better than this. So it's possible at least that he finds life uh, in, in playoffs, but I think that's pretty much everyone. The, if, if Riley Nash isn't coming back, that's a huge loss for Syracuse because that dude, doesn't belong in this league um and i'm looking at it now he had 10 goals in 17 games wow. that's that's bonkers like that that is the case definition of you are too good to be here <laughs> right like, if you put up those kind of stats in my beer league they would be throwing you out and sending you up like <laughs> there'll be a security guard at the door so you're not coming in <laughs> yeah, tonight. sorry like, all right we're not we're not having you do the sandbag stuff here now <laughs> too, very quietly a good season for him 30 goals 32 assists too many penalties but yeah, uh, at some at some point, I think that that's part of his game. Like he needs to kind of, you know, do maybe some stuff he shouldn't in order to kind of get in the the headspace to play. Right, right. Well, I can tell you, you know, obviously haven't seen him play fourteen times this year. Uh, he is an emotional player. There's no doubt about it. And, and yes, you you can goad him into a penalty. There's there's no doubt about it. But when you're putting up over sixty points, you definitely take the good with the bad. So with that said, you said you like Laval just barely. In this series, just barely, more like a, barely. a coin like, flip than anything else. It's it is like I, I haven't run the numbers on it yet, but it's going to be close. I can tell you that one for sure. It's going to be very close. 
Um, I, if you put Nash back on Syracuse, I'd probably take Syracuse then, but like this, these are two teams that I think are dark horses as Calder cup contenders. And if I'm Utica, I don't want to play either one of them because they both scare me, even though like Utica also very, very good. And I think the fact they're getting everyone back is going to be huge for them. And especially with the uh, like excess time they have, that's wild. Right. Well, let's, you know what? Let's talk about that. That's I definitely want to talk about that. Um, the comments don't play again until May 10th. But like you said, they get everybody back now. Because, I mean, listen, April was not a good month for the comments on an overall basis, right? Um, we talked about this in November. At some point, things were going to balance out to the medium. It, it, it's hockey. It happens, right? But, I mean, yes, they were missing a lot of players. Honestly, I think that they had been in first place for so long by so far that it was kind of like, okay, we're towards the end of the season now. Maybe start going to get, and I'm not saying sandbag by all means, but I'm just saying that when you're that far ahead, it's kind of like, all right, well, we got, we have the playoffs to look forward to, you know, one of those deals. Um, but here's something I found very surprising. And just as a, as a general statement of the North division, you know, you think about the Western conference and I, to me, I always kind of equated the Western conference, at least this season with offense. Cause if you look at the top 20 scores, you know, 80% of them are in the Western Conference, right? But the North Division, all right, for just as far as overall goals for, right? Syracuse had 242, so they were tied for eighth. Laval had 246, they were tied for fourth. Rochester, of course, we know about the explosive offense they have. 254, they had uh, tied, they were overall third. Uh, Belleville was a little lot under the radar on that. They were 219 tied for 17th. But Utica had 246 since they were tied for fourth. So... Again, like we said, they can keep up with anybody offensively. Um, I I tend to agree with you. I think that if anybody they're going to want to play Rochester, maybe for familiarity's sake, anything else they you know. But again, that also the the tail can wag the dog on that because they also know the comments pretty well. But I think that the comments now with them getting their full team back and you start getting into that playoff mindset. Talent-wise, they can stay with anybody. And if they play their game, I truly believe they can beat anybody. What are some of the strengths on the Utica Comets that you think can carry them to this uh, division title? Oh, depth for certain. Like, they they seem like they have somebody who I can point to at every level and be like, that's a dude who's probably playing, you know, who could play a line up or play minutes up, and they have the advantage of slotting them, you know, as your third-line center, as your second pairing defenseman like their depth when they're now that everyone's there uh is fantastic and that's what helped them so much early in the season is like they could just roll four lines that can score and three pairs of d that can do you know a little bit of everything and that that was a huge advantage for them because it gave them so much versatility so much we don't need alexander holtz to score you know two goals a night for us to win um where like when some of that depth got hurt, some of it went to New Jersey, you started to see that kind of start to falter a little bit. And that's understandable. That's typically what happens when, you know, you lose good players to the NHL or to IR or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it, for, for me, Utica's uh, ability to just roll four lines and three pairs of D that are terrifying uh, definitely get, is what is their biggest advantage. And like it, they have two very solid goaltenders to back them up. This is a, a team that checks all of the boxes of things you would want. Um, and I mean, we've been saying it all season, that team loves Kevin Deneen to death. They would, you know, go to actual war for him. Uh, so 
that's a huge advantage. Not to mention too, like we said, the comments have had a stupid amount of time to prep for this next series. Like if they were a little bit goals uh, around, if they were, uh, you know, maybe not as prepared or as thorough as they would have liked to have been in previous series, which is definitely true in the AHL, especially with Utica's schedule this season seemed like it was a lot of, they didn't play a lot of weekend series where it was them playing two games and two games against Rochester, two against Syracuse. It was a lot of mix and match, mm -hmm. which makes it harder on coaching staffs because they have to then prepare for two opponents in, you know, a short span of time where it's like, if you only have one, you know, two games or three games, uh, on the weekend against the same opponent, you're only preparing for one team. Sure. Um, but like now that you've given one of the best coaching staffs and a team that has that much buy-in and what the coach is preaching that much extra time to, you know, plan strategy, uh, get into practice and uh, perfect, you know, things like that has all this time to rest, recuperate, prepare, like good luck to Belleville or Rochester who had to, you know, play through a, a small war to get through to this point, even like, I, I think that's a huge advantage for for Utica going forward. Really, because I actually kind of almost think that that could work against them being off for that long. Because practice is great and and rest is beyond great, especially at this point in the season when you got guys with nagging injuries. You know, get them recuperated. But there's nothing like gameplay, and I, I think that perhaps, and you know, this is kind of just a, a shot in the dark. Belleville or Rochester might have a slight advantage by having played, especially if it's only a two-game series. Now, if it's a, like we were talking earlier, if it's a three-game series that goes double overtime each game, yeah, you're right. They're going to be worn out. There's no doubt about it. But uh, the Comets have, have been off since April 30th. So they're going to have almost two full weeks of, of resting and getting everybody ready. So it'll be interesting to see how that game one plays out. It, it really, fortunately, they're going to be home. I, th I think I think you'll see maybe, you know, like a, a half period of like uh, maybe not necessarily rust, but like getting up to speed a little bit. Uh, I've seen teams in the past, too, when they've had those like giant layoffs where they're waiting for someone else uh, where they will um, like hold inner inner squad scrimmages mm -hmm. and they'll just tell them like this is a live game, like go beat the crap out of each other a little bit uh, to kind of keep that like, you know, game mentality or getting into a you know, uh, a pseudo game, uh, going. So I think you might see some of that from, from, uh, the comet staff just to kind of, uh, address what you're saying. And I think that like, that's a valid point. You've definitely seen teams, uh, you know, who've had those big layoffs come out and not look as sharp. Um, when we came back from like Christmas break, when we had that big extended uh, holiday from like the middle of December and some teams didn't play for like 17 days, you definitely saw that a little bit uh, where it's like a team that had a game the night before coming against a team who hasn't played in three weeks. Uh, you saw a little bit of that, that level of, you know, I would say softness, but like that, not ready for game speed quite at this at puck drop. I'm less concerned with that with this team, but I think your concern is still valid. Uh, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be as worried about this just because I put a lot of faith in Denis and his staff and uh, everyone to be prepared. If we had seen them be a little more laxical, laxadaisical in when they were f at full uh, roster strength in the season, I would say you probably have a, a much stronger case. But for right now, I'm not concerned. Yeah, that's, and that's like I said, it's very valid too. And you know, Coach Denis not going to let the gas off. There's no way. <laughs> as far as Utica goes, how about some players that need to make a difference? I mean. 
Chase DeLeo, Alexander Holtz are always going to be the big two. It's been amazing to see what AJ Greer has done, especially like watching him last year with Bridgeport. And I was like, when we previewed Bridgeport at the beginning of last season, we're like, yeah, AJ Greer is a big addition. We know what he did in previous stops in his career. He should be about a point of game player in Bridgeport. And then he was terrible. He was so bad in Bridgeport. It looked like someone poured sand in all of his joints at the start of every game. And then he got, he went to um, Binghamton last year for like the last five games of the season. And it, it looked like a different person and it was unbelievable. And then this year just rips it up. Uh, I mean, he's had some unbelievable games this year. He's another one too. I like, I don't feel like a name. There are, are guys on the comments who are like going to catch people by surprise at this point, especially for, you know, most comments fans, they know their guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but like, I would definitely want to see uh, big things from Alexander Holtz. This is a platform for him to show that next year it's devils or bust. Um, and I think he's, he's dead. Utica has been a different team when he's in the lineup versus out of it, because he is just someone who can take over a game and be an absolute weapon. And while DeLeo and Greer have been great this year, they don't have that, like, they don't have the dynamic talent that he does where he can just turn something or turn, uh, you know, a, he can manufacture a scoring chance out of thin air. It seems like, whereas, you know, I, I, they're still very good, but I don't think they have quite that, that high end of uh, ability to basically just make something out of nothing. Right. And I'll tell you, you know, what's impressed me the most about Holtz this year. I mean, you can have all the offensive highlights and they've been very fun to watch. Let me tell you, very fun. But the way he has improved his defensive game this season when we started off in October, you know, we, we were, who we were talking about earlier, uh, Jack Quinn, you know, it was kind of the same thing, not very strong defensively at all. As the season has progressed, and I'll tell you where I really noticed it is when the comments started having all the call-ups and the injuries start to happening and he was still there and they were counting on him to come back and back check and play defense. And you know what? He did. He did. I mean, listen, he's not going to win the sulky award at the NHL level. But still, he has actually become a very responsible winger in his own end, and it's been great to see. Uh, you know who else had a, a breakout season has been very, very fun to watch is uh, Fabian Zetterlin. He's been amazing. Yes. Fabian Zetterlin was another one, too, that like we definitely slept on in the preseason when we were talking about Utica. Like I watched him last year with Binghamton, and I was, I could see, you know, good raw skills but i'm like he hasn't put anything together yet this season. like he has good raw skills him and like graham clark was another right. good raw skills but like you can tell they have not put it together they're uh they're wielding a sword that they are not ready for and that that has not been settling at all this year he has taken a massive leap forward in his ability to turn raw skills into production and to f- turn you know scoring chances and good stick handling into points on the board uh, and that's been phenomenal to see. Uh, it's I was definitely not expecting that big of a leap forward for him. Another big leap forward for me too was Riley Walsh. Like I think there were a lot of people who were a lot higher on Riley Walsh from what I saw last year coming out of Binghamton than I was. Like he could do good things in the offensive zone when the puck was in the offensive zone. Like he was a valuable part of the cycle and could work the power play. But man, was he terrible in his own end last year. He was truly atrocious in his own end. And like, it seemed like every time the puck was on his stick trying to make a breakout in Binghamton, he would screw it up. And that was my big concern when he was coming to Utica this year is I'm like, I've seen how bad this defensive group, but especially Riley Walsh was at breaking pucks out last year. And it's why Binghamton was a tire fire. 
And that's kind of one of the reasons that I was low on comments to start the season, because I didn't think that he would make these just massive leaps forward where now it's watching him skate the puck up the ice. It looks like he's been doing it half his life. And I mean, to be fair to him, he has, right. but like, <laughs> it's, it, it, it looks night and day like what we saw last year. And that's a huge credit to him, you know, do, putting in work in the off season, putting in the work in the season, but also another credit to the staff for getting those big leaps out of guys that, Binghamton didn't. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because I've been telling like a lot of my friends here too, Riley Walsh to me is really one of the main keys to making the, the Comets offense go. I mean, they, they're they loaded with, at the forward group. They got all kinds of firepower on the, on the offensive end for forwards. But as far as defense goes, they need that breakout. Their, their, their game is so what the transition game, right? Yep. Get up and go. And for a little while there, he was in a slump. And there was, and you could tell when, when Riley Walsh was slumping is when the Comets kind of started to, uh, well, we're not all of a sudden that fire wagon offense isn't there. And you can load up the neutral zone against them and you can clog things up and you can slow it down. And then towards the end of April is when he really started to turn it on again. And you saw what happened. I mean, they, they all of a sudden, oh yeah, that's right. We can score five goals a game, six goals a game or whatever. And you could also see his confidence level just went right through the roof towards the end, too, because, you know, now finally things started working again. And I'm telling you, if Riley Walsh is going to continue to be Riley Walsh and play as, as good as he can, uh, this is going to be an extremely dangerous team in the playoffs. So we had talked about the goaltending. Who starts game one, Nico Dawes or Akira Schmid? How would you like to add that a, problem? Yeah. I probably played Dawes, but like for reasons that are incredibly thin and specious, like I think Dawes is probably like, it seemed like Schmidt was definitely starting to get worn down by the workload at the end of the season. And we talked about this on our podcast where it's like he, uh, at the beginning of, uh, April, it was like he had played more games this season than he did all of last year in juniors. And there is a month left in the season for him to play like, and you could see his performance uh, when you tracked it, like by month was starting to dip a little bit. And like, after he put up a nine forty seven in his first 10 games, you're like, okay, nobody's that good. He's going to come to earth a little bit. Right. But like, it definitely seemed like he was getting worn down a little bit. And Dawes at least seems like he's probably the fresher goalie. Granted, now both of them are going to have, you know, an uh, uh, entire month, it feels like, off from playing live fire games. So maybe that's different by, you know, the time we get here. But I, I think I'm I'm more inclined to play Dawes. But it's, uh, you know, we're more or less flipping coins. I, I would be not surprised to see either one of them at any point. The other question, too, is if you do pick a goalie and he plays well in game one, does he auto start game two or are you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I... Because that's the thing, right? I mean, not just the AHL, but NHL or any level of hockey. I mean, once you get to the playoffs, you pretty much, that that one guy one night, the other guy the other night, stuff tends to end. You, yeah. you tend to pick one and go. Um, so I, won't, I don't want to say either one of them will be on a short leash, but if things do start going south, and especially, you know, I know they're not playing a best of three series, but it's still a best of five. Yeah, it's and not it, a lot of runway. You know, that, that's just it. There's not a lot of room for error at all. So, I mean, I got to tend to think that Dawes will probably be the game one starter, but, but what a toss-up to have, though. It, it really is. But And you're right. I mean, this is Schmidt's first season professionally. 
this is Dawes' first season in uh, North America. So, or no, the other way around. I'm sorry. This is Schmidt's first season. Anyways, first professional season over here. Let's put it that way. (laughs) So they've already played more hockey than they're they're used to. Uh, But I think, you know, Dawes had to go to New Jersey. There was no doubt because of what was going on. And I think maybe in the long run, that experience will be good for him to have, you know, have that. But I, I think, actually, I think that's going to do a lot of those guys a world of good, to be honest with you. That's, you know, that's huge for their confidence because really, I mean, Zetterlund played very well up there. Ball played very well up there. You know, we, we don't talk about Kevin Ball a lot, but he, he was really solid up there. And there's uh, Nolan Funk had, what, three goals in, in a week. <laughs> yeah. So... They're getting all of these guys back, and I think you're absolutely right. There, there is no real line one, line two, line three, line four. It, you know, for the most part, maybe a line one, yeah. line two, line those are interchangeable. And uh, I'll tell you something. I think if Freddie Gauthier can get back from injury, that's going to be huge for him too. Yeah, they have they have ridiculous center depth, and that's one of the other big things about them that makes them uh, such a such a good team. But yeah. It wouldn't shock me to see, like, if if I were Kevin Deneen in this scenario here trying to pick a goaltender, I think I'd be, I'd flip a coin for game one, you know, heads, you're the game one starter, tails, you're the game two starter. Like, and I'm going to stick to, we're going to play, you know, one, uh, we're going to play, let's say Dawes game one, Schmid game two. If we have a game three, we're going to play Dawes in that one. If we don't have a game three, Dawes is getting the next start. And I'm just going to go back and forth until one of them gives me a reason to stop it. Right. Because... I'm sure New Jersey wants him to play both as well. Like, yeah, they're trying to develop either, you know, both of them simultaneously, but unfortunately only one of them can play in the net at the at one time. So <laughs> it's, that's what I imagine they do is they, they just run a plain, you know, bare rotation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, I'm sure that's a very good point. That's a, you know, certainly a possibility. So now that we've talked about all this, I'm going to put you on the spot, buddy. Who comes out of the North division? Oh, and I, cause it's going to be a war. There's no doubt about oh, it. Oh, I know the, that, that division final, uh, between what I imagine is going to be the winner of, uh, you know, Syracuse Laval and Utica. That's, that's going to be, uh, an absolute war. Um, and like, I'm trying to like, cause in my head, I'm like, yeah, but Utica hasn't been that good reason. I'm like, yeah, but there's been a lot of reasons behind that. All of which are gone now. So it's like I'm trying to th- – like that's the thing that's sh- had me struggling the most is with, with Utica is I'm like they have everyone. They're all healthy. They've had tons of time to prepare. Like this is not going to look like the team we saw the last like two or three weeks in the season that looked good but still mortal. And I don't know. Do it. Come on. I'll tell you what. I'll let you think about it. You can, you can, back, you can message me. No, no. I, I think I'm going to take Utica to come out of the north. But it's – He's wearing gonna, the he's wearing the shirt. He's got to pick yeah. up. Come on, hey, yeah. <laughs> I just like it's a lot of these series have been very very close so far, um, and they've been challenging to pick. And the only one that seemed like it was very one sided, I picked an upset in. So <laughs> I expect uh, I expect uh, all of your cohort at Hockey Royalty to give me. Like, just get in line to dunk on me when they blow out San Diego because I picked San Diego. <laughs> I'll, I'll be sure to let them know. That's no, <laughs> like, I, I'm fully aware of how insane that looks that I did it. And even Cece, when we were on the broadcast, is like, yeah, you're a crazy person, but that's a, 
very different. Yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, though. I mean, Ontario is kind of like Rochester West. A little bit. There's they have a little bit more sandpaper, I think, up and down the, the roster. But mm-hmm. their big problem this year has been goaltending. It's yeah. been Matthew Peralta has struggled heavily, and that is almost the entire crux of my pick. Is I don't trust him. Like, if you would have told me Garrett Sparks is a net, I pick Ontario in a game and a half. Like the San Diego just quits at the at the end of the second intermission. But like, I think this is an opportunity for Lucas Dostal to stand on his head and uh, show the world that he is probably the heir apparent to John Gibson. And I think that could be the series, and that's why I did it. But like everything is pointing against San Diego. Nobody is nobody else is picking San Diego besides me. But I, I fully expect Joe and Radon to just get in line, you know, get like one of those deli counter tickets so that they can wait to make fun of me when Ontario wins six nothing and seven two in two games. <laughs> we still forgive you though. That's okay. Oh yeah. Like I have reasons at least. But, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm taking Utica out of the north, but it's it's razor thin. Like it's not going to be easy. There's no, no doubt about it. No, and I, I'm I'm glad that they don't have to play Syracuse or Laval in round one, just for the fact that like if they would lose that series, like both of those are very good teams, and I think could very easily go on and you know be cup contenders. But like I I I could see like a Toronto thing happening where it's like, we had this great season and then we lost in the first round. I'm like, but you lost to a very, very good team. Like that counts for something, but I'm glad that they at least get a series against either Rochester or Belleville where they will be the favorites and should win. And if they they don't, that can be a legitimate source of disappointment because they should have. Oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. Let's uh before I let, let's take just take a quick look at the Atlantic division. Cause that's obviously the comments come out of the North. They're going to be playing the winner of the Atlantic. So let's see, there are what? They, so the Charlotte Checkers and the Springfield uh, Thunderbirds are on bye, correct? Yep. And correct. then there's, let's see, the Providence Bruins are playing the Bridgeport Islanders. Yep, right and, now, and no score in that game. Uh, and Bridgeport stole the first one. Yes, yeah, so, well, it was apparently Corey Schneider that stole it, from what I understand. Corey Schneider with an assist from some officiating. <laughs> <laughs> well, that always helps. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, who's it? Hershey and Scranton, or Wilkesbury Scranton, I think, and the yep. other one, right? Which, That's correct. Which, by the way, uh, they don't have Louis Domingue because, boy, what a what a, a performance! I mean, just coming in stone cold off the bench with the second overtime again oh, with yeah. the, in the Penguins Rangers like, game. Oof! You still have no idea what happened with Casey DeSmith. Like he nah. pulled himself. Like that wasn't a a, a trainer or a spotter. He literally skated over the bench. And was like, yeah, I'm, I can't go anymore. So like. I have no idea what happened. There's been no, I've not seen any reporting because I watched that game last night and it was, uh, it was wild. I, uh, and then the e-bug in the buildings going, oh my, oh, 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 am I going to end up in a, in a triple overtime NHL playoff game? Uh, uh. <laughs> that's like, as an e-bug, you want to get into a game. Like that's your dream, but you do not want to get into that. <laughs> that is, that is not the case. <laughs> Oh boy. But uh who do you uh who do you like out of the Atlantic? I mean, the Providence Bridgeport one, I didn't know that Cameron Hughes was hurt for that series. And if I would have known that, I would have taken Bridgeport outright. Um cuz Cameron Hughes is probably the best player Bridgeport has in terms of talent uh in terms of like complete package. Uh he's hasn't played in either of the two games that they played um and 
I think Bridgeport is at least capable of winning that series. I haven't been that impressed with Providence down the stretch. And I understand like they were missing a lot of guys. Boston basically, you know, rotated mm-hmm. rest in to play an eight, you know, half an AHL lineup the last couple games of the season. But like Providence has never been a team that felt dangerous to me. They felt like they were a team that always managed to just hold on enough. And Troy Grosnick's been great this year, but they played very, very well in front of him. Sure. And kind of like we were saying with Rochester, you can't separate that from the team in front of him. And I think that discounts him a bit in my mind. Like Grosnick's still a very good goaltender, but I I don't think of him as being at that level that a lot of uh, that he's projected at this season because of the team that's been in front of him. But like Providence has been a very kind of conservative uh, team this year. I, I would have thought that you would have saw saw more of them. Uh, like they did in the in the you know Groundhog Day division last year, where it was them just you know trying to turn on the Jets and outrace every team through the neutral zone on the route to scoring six goals. And when you play two big, heavy, slow teams for the entire season, you can do that. But like that's not been their game this year. They played very conservative, very kind of boring hockey, mm-hmm. um, and it's worked for them. But I still feel like they're vulnerable to a team that has. Uh, a heavier presence um, like Bridgeport, who I think has some underrated offensive uh, players that could surprise them, especially because Corey Schneider was our X factor in the series. And we're like, yeah, Corey Schneider can steal this series or Bridgeport. Like there is no way that Bridgeport wins this series. And Corey Schneider is not a reason, if not the reason. And game one very much verified that opinion uh, that we had that, Corey Schneider is capable of stealing the series. And if Bridgeport is going to win, it's going to be on the back of Corey Schneider plus some fortunate bounces, plus their breakouts, not looking like hot garbage. Cause that's been Bridgeport. A lot of the year is their, their structured breakouts have gone very poorly to the point where I almost think they should not do the um, short support breakout that they use because they screw it up so badly. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That is great. Uh, but as far as the, the top two seeds, I mean, Springfield and Charlotte both had excellent seasons. Uh, do you see one of those two coming out of the division? The Atlantic is really hard because I feel like it's every team is okay-ish. Like every team is good, but they all are mortal in some way or another. Like mm-hmm. if one of the Atlantic teams is the one that wins the Calder Cup, I will be shocked. I feel like every team in that division has a reason to believe in them, but they also have a reason to very much not believe in them. Like in Charlotte's case, Charlotte doesn't have really anyone on the roster who flat out shouldn't be in the AHL on both ends of the spectrum. They don't have any like, you know, ECHLers at the bottom of the lineup where I'm like, how did this guy sneak into this lineup? Like, did they just, did he just show up in the locker room? Everyone was just like, okay, I guess. Like they don't have any, you know, pylons on their team. They but they also don't have any stars. Owen Tippett was their one guy that was, you know, uh, a guy that didn't belong in the AHL because he was too good. They don't really have anyone at this juncture that kind of fills that, you know, star power need. They have, you know, a roster full of guys who are somewhere between a B plus and a B minus in terms of their AHL ability. And like that's a way to win. That's a way to build good, strong team depth, but they lack that kind of they, they lack a serious weapon, a game changer. They don't have an Alexander Holtz uh, that would push them over the top. And I think that hurts them. They also like with Springfield, I do not like their defensive group on the back end. Like their bottom four defensemen really do not do it for me. Like, I don't think that they're 
terribly good and they don't move the puck well. Like them not getting Scott Perunovich back, yeah, um, even like as a paper transaction was absolutely insane to me from St. Louis's perspective. But I mean, whatever. But like they're they're also not going to get much back from St. Louis should St. Louis duck out in the first round here, right? Like, they get Dakota Joshua back, who's good, but I'm not expecting them to get the the firepower and reinforcements that like. If LA goes out in the first round, Ontario is going <laughs> to go from like, okay, we have some talent to like, there is genuinely too much talent. We might be healthy scratching on, you know, top five pick. <laughs> I know, right? It's, it's true. That is, it's very true. Yeah. Kevin they, Kevin says Belleville's up three nothing now with three nothing. Six minutes left in the second. Wow. Now. Well, then. Okay. Oof. But there, well, it's like we were talking though that Belleville is, can just be a very dangerous, and you know, not to switch off the Atlantic, but I mean, just in regards to that Belleville Rochester game, that's what Belleville did to the Comets when they were in the month of eight. They just clogged up that neutral zone, yep. and you just—it's like trying to skate through tar. And that's that was what we said in our preview of that series too, uh, when we talked about it. And like Belleville's going to—if Belleville wins the series, it's because they forced Rochester to play dump and chase. And Rochester cannot play dump and chase. They need to be able to fly through the neutral zone. Right. And that's also one of the reasons, if I'm the comments, I want Rochester to win this series because I do not want Belleville to come in and play heavy sludge hockey in the neutral zone because that's also not something the comments excel at is playing dump and chase. Right. But yeah. Um, to the Atlantic, like I like Charlie Lindgren and net for Springfield. I think he's been really good this year. I think he's also been someone that's kind of flown under the radar to, you know, your average AHL fan who's not, you know, in Springfield or a fan of a team that got to see him a bunch this year. But like I that bottom of the defense concerns me. I I think they're big and slow and that can be useful in the playoffs, but it can also be exploited by teams that are a little bit faster like Charlotte and a little bit uh Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Um that Hershey that Hershey uh I think is going to win that series between the two because they got Joe Snively back for a conditioning loan. I'm assuming he's going to play all three games in the series, and he is uh, uh, he is that weapon that uh, we talked about. That like he puts that all he takes an offense that it feels like it's been stuck in neutral for you know since December when they lost uh, Molson and Pinho, and they haven't had actually Janssen Fialbi for the majority of the year, and like that's crushed um, Hershey. Like they sure. they they're seven forwards, their top seven forwards to start the season in Hershey combined to miss 54% of the season. Wow. Like, and then people, and then a lot of their fans are like, why aren't we scoring? And I'm like, well, <laughs> hello. <laughs> gestures broadly at where are all like, you can't pull guys from, you know, uh, South Carolina from uh, the ECHL and expect them to be, you know, replace uh, your top six forwards in the AHL. Like that's not how talent works, <laughs> but like, <laughs> It's but like with Joe Snively, Hershey's, you know, has an offense that feels potent again. They can put, you know, guys that were on the top line, shift them down and get them favorable matchups against third liners. That's huge for them. Um, their defense is still one that has talent on it and can move the puck. Wilkes-Barre Scranton, on the other hand, you know, Tommy Napier is their starting goaltender for this series. And well, yeah. like if, if Domingue was in that, we have a whole different story that that series I feel like is much less spread apart, but I could Tommy Napier, you know, find magic and, uh, in two games, you know, stop 40 of, uh, 41 shots. Yep. I'm not counting on it though, but it's definitely possible. <laughs> sure. But, uh, like 
Wilkes-Barre Scranton's another team where like they have a lot of really good players, but no one that really just jumps off the page besides maybe Pio Joseph. And Pio Joseph is the riverboat gambler of that team. Like <laughs> he does stuff that no one else can in Wilkes-Barre Scranton and in a lot of cases around the AHL. Like offensively, he's someone who makes offense happen for both sides when he's on the ice. Like he is <laughs> I just remember I was watching one of their games earlier this season and he made a saucer pass from behind the net into the slot in his defensive zone on a breakout over the stick of someone and it got picked off. And I was just sitting there wondering like, if you're, if you're JD Forrest, you, you know, you go to office Depot, you buy the biggest industrial staple gun you have. And then you put PO Joseph on the bench for the rest of the game for that. Like, and he does stuff like that where he'll just take risks with the puck where it's like, when it works, he looks like a genius, but when it doesn't, it's like, what were you even thinking there? Like it's a tie game in the second period and you're making saucer passes on the breakout over guys sticks. No, absolutely <laughs> yeah. not. And it's like, those are, those are the, like, he's, he was, I think, uh, one of the, the big factors for us in that series, because it's like, if Wilkes-Barre Scranton wins the series, it's going to be because P.O. Joseph, you know, took care of the puck better and managed the manage risk better because like he can make goals at either end of the ice based on what he does with the puck. But like they need Wilkes-Barre Scranton needs him to be more responsible in his own end with it because he wants to do wild things that usually work out. But when they don't very much capital D do not work. <laughs> I like that with a capital D that's. <laughs> With emphasis, <laughs> so basically the uh, the North, or I mean the Atlantic, is going to be like the North. That's going to be a war to get out of there too. It is, but I feel like whoever comes out of that division is just basically there to get stomped by whoever wins the North. Like, it, I'm assuming one of Utica, Syracuse, or Laval win the North, and I, I would take any of them blindly over an Atlantic division team, unless you told me like st louis went out and sent found some magic loophole clause to send down uh the scott perunovich pain tour or like spent back and something like that like unless there is a big shift for one of those teams rosters because all four of them are in the playoffs or all six of them are playoff teams except for bridgeport um unless they get significant reinforcements from one of those teams going out by surprise, um, I'd blindly take the North division winner over the Atlantic. Very interesting. So just real quick, Western conference, give me three teams to look out for. Um, I mean, besides the obvious ones in Chicago and Stockton, because I think if you could just look at the standings and be like, Oh, those are the good <laughs> ones. Yeah. Um, I really think Colorado, if, if Colorado can get good goaltending from Hunter Miska, and that is definitely an if, like he's done well, but he definitely is a guy that I, I think we said this on our show, that I trust in like a Ron Burgundy sense of like, I'm Ron Burgundy? I trust <laughs> this goaltender? Like I, if Hunter Miska can be like, be the, the, you know, uh, stereotypical hot playoff goaltender, Colorado is going places. That team top to bottom has all the horses. Like their, uh, their roster uh, is very, very talented and they're in contention for a number of end season awards because of how, how much they can just rack up points, but goaltending is the weak spot there. And if they can figure that out, they're going to be a wagon. Um, I think both Baker, like whoever wins Bakersfield Abbotsford, that's going to be 
I wish we would get more games of that because Abbotsford hasn't felt like they've had, you know, their full roster for more than a handful of games this year. Plus they just got pod Colson back and pod Colson uh, is someone who I expect to ball out, but like he might not because he's still very young. He's getting sent to the AHL for the first time to play with new teammates, new coaches, and may, you know, not have the best attitude being sent to the AHL after literally playing in the NHL the entire season. But like Pod Colson is ridiculously good. Uh, he scored last night on a goal. Uh, he scored last night uh, to give them a one nothing lead that ultimately didn't hold with like seven minutes left. But like both of those teams, I feel like are another one where like I like Stuart Skinner. He's definitely proven to be a much better goaltender this season than I would have thought. We gave him the nickname Moonshine because we said starting him, uh, <laughs> starting him in net was like starting your car with Moonshine. Like it might get it going, but ultimately, you know, this isn't sustainable. <laughs> and he had like that was two seasons ago that we gave him that. That was uh, like the beginning of last year because he had just looked so lost in his rookie year in, in net, uh, starting for Bakersfield. And then last year, he still looked like someone who had a good team in front of him, but had a lot of warts uh, on him as a goaltender. And then this year, he's looked a lot better. Um, but we're still holding on to the Moonshine nickname because it's fun. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but um, between him and Spencer Martin, they're both goaltenders where, I, again, I kind of trust them in the Ron Burgundy sense where it's like, I think they could be great. Like they've shown moments where they could steal games. But I don't know, like they're going to be the reason that team succeeds or fails one way or the other. But like Colorado, Bakersfield, and Abbotsford are all stacked to the gills. Like they are going to be good teams. And I think they could surprise guys. Um, Ontario, unless LA goes out, is going to be a team that I feel like is just good enough to get by. Like I, I picked San Diego to beat them. <laughs> so like I clearly see that they are not the team that they were a little bit ago because LA's taken everyone. If LA gets bounced in the first round, right. Ontario is uh absolutely probably the favorite in the Western Conference then because they're getting by field oh, yeah. and, and like they're getting everybody. Um in the central, I I keep wanting to count out Manitoba. Like every time I watch them play, it's like they're good, but they never seem to just knock my socks off. And they've had games like that. I just haven't caught them. But like they just continue to even when they were like running a skeleton crew on their on uh their roster because winnipeg took all their you know talent they managed to get it done at every turn and managed to not just fall to pieces when you know they they had to you know stuff echlers in their second line like that's a well-coached team and i feel like i've just intuitively not believed in them because they lack that kind of weapon they, they don't have an offensive weapon. They have a lot of guys who are very good, who piece together, like uh, who blend with each other really well to bring out the best in each other. But like outside of their top four defensemen, they lack that kind of guy where I can point to and being like, that's a difference maker. Right. Like, they have a lot of guys that are good, but their, their big difference makers are all on the blue line. And while they're important, Leon Gawanki is important. Jonathan Kovacevich is important. Like they're, they're still just, like B plus a minus players in my mind in this league, they're still very good, but they're not like break the game. Good. Uh, like where Michael Delzato was for Belleville. But I think Manitoba can surprise people. Like if Manitoba beats Chicago and wins that division, Oof. I would be shocked, but not surprised. Like, really? I think love it. I, like, hmm. I don't think Chicago is the juggernaut that I think a lot of others do. Like, yes, they won the AHL regular season this year. 
And yes, they are very, very good. But I think the bottom of that defense still concerns me a little bit. And there have definitely been moments where like they've had to have Stefan Nason carry them or they've had to have Paul Dorowski carry them because the rest of it just wasn't working for them that night. They also have the biggest goalie question mark, it seems like, where Carolina is trying to figure out what they're doing because Carolina has goalie problems right now. And while you know Chicago has still got Alex Lyon, I think, on the roster and probably their game one starter, if Lyon has to get pulled up and they have to play uh, Jack uh, LaFontaine, Sure. That's that's not he's he's been fine, don't get me wrong, but like that shifts things a lot for me in terms of how much I trust Chicago to you know do what everyone thinks is going to just be a walk for them. Um God forbid Rockford like I don't believe in Rockford, but I believe in Arvid Soderblom who's their goaltender. If Rockford goes anywhere this year, it, it's going to be because over Arvid Soderblom carried them kicking and screaming to whatever wins they can get. And that's totally possible because he's been doing it basically all season. Like Rockford's strategy has been score two goals and then play prevent defense for as many (laughs) minutes as necessary and let Arvid Soderblom just win us the game. And to their credit, it's kind of worked. And Arvid Soderblom, who is another goaltender in the league that I feel like has been underrated because his numbers don't, don't blow up, you know, uh, as much as like Troy Grosnick's do, but like the team in front of him is basically said, hey, we're going to need you to carry us again tonight. Is that good with you? Great, thanks. <laughs> no problem, guys. I got this. Thanks a lot. I've only been yeah. doing this for 20 yeah, games in a row. Thanks. <laughs> right. He's like, he's definitely going to have scoliosis from carrying the Ice Hogs this year. <laughs> but like, it's, he's another one where it's like, I could see him, I could see Rockford in the, you know, divisional finals uh, giving Chicago or Manitoba all they can handle. And it's because Arvid Soderblom is stopping 52 pucks a night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'll tell you, there is one team that does not have goaltending problems, and that's Stockton, for sure. Yeah. Stockton is <laughs> Stockton's another team, too, where it's like Calgary is not sending them anything. No. Calgary, is, Calgary is going places, so Stockton is going to have to make do with whatever they have. And they've made that work. Like, I thought early in the season when Adam Rzichka got called up to uh, Calgary, and it became very clear he was not coming back. And I'm like, well, that's it for Stockton winning the Pacific Division. And nope, was wrong about that one. They have managed to, they've also had some very, outside of Ruzichka, had very good call out luck and injury luck. Sure. Like Stockton has not had a lot of its core pieces miss many games this season. But yeah, Dustin Wolf has been fantastic for them. But he's another one that he's had a very good team defense in front of him. And that's not to say he hasn't been fantastic. He has. But I think that counts a little bit against him when I look at it. Like, yeah, he's been great, but he's also had easier workloads than Soderblom or Kevin Poulin on a nightly basis, and I think that matters. But yeah, Stockton has been a nightmare for teams, and it seems like no matter what happens, that staff, that coaching staff, kind of like Utica, is one that I just believe in because no matter what, it seems like you know a big call up, an injury, uh, you know they have to play a three and three against a team who's only played one game in the weekend. Like no matter what happens, Stockton just kept going. Like they never got bogged down. I think they lost back-to-back games three times this season, and that was it. Uh, right. They never lost three straight games. For an, a, a team to not lose three straight games in this wild, you know, AHL league where your team's fates can change on the turn of one NHL player's ankle, like it's True. it's wild that Stockton has been able to consistently just keep winning games. And I don't think they're taking anyone by surprise, but I also think that they are 
not the clear favorite out of the West or even out of the Pacific. Like they're very good and very much could win the Pacific division. But I think that that's sleeping on teams like Colorado and Bakersfield and Abbots for too much. Um, like they could win the Western conference, but I still feel like that's sleeping on Manitoba a little bit. Like the West has some teams I straight don't believe in. Like, I don't think Henderson's going places like they might beat Colorado, but I don't think they're getting out of they're They're not going to get out of the, the grinder. That is everyone else. I don't think Texas does either. Um, I don't think Milwaukee's going anywhere. Even with Askarov and net, I, I, I've seen Milwaukee flounder too many games to really believe. Like I'm going to need to see it for me to believe they can beat Chicago or uh, Manitoba in a, a best of five or best of seven. But like the rest of the West is wide open. I think. Whereas I feel like the East is a little more, it's going to be one of the North division teams. <laughs> the wild, wild West. Love it. Well, Sean, this is, this has been so much fun, man. Thanks for, for coming back on again. We, we, we just love having you here because this is, this is right here. We get the whole perspective right here. It's great. Love it. Yeah. That's, that is one of the, the fun things about uh, being, you know, uh, me and CC together, we cover the entire league. We've seen all these teams play. We've seen all these you know, all these broadcasts, all these broadcasters, all these players, all these coaches, we've seen multiple games from everyone. There is only one team that I've seen like only three games from this year, and that's Colorado, because when we cover Colorado, CC is their, you know, affiliated mm-hmm. writer. So usually he's the one that takes that series because <laughs> that would feel kind of weird to be like, all right, you're going to write about Colorado this weekend, but you're also going to cover this completely other series and I'm going to cover Colorado. Like, <laughs> all right. Anymore. So like, I haven't seen that much of the Eagles this year. And they're the only team I think I've seen less than six times. Yeah, it's still, it's like I said, I mean, the, you guys just have like the complete package. I mean, it's awesome. And you also have a very interesting episode coming up of your show as well. Yes. I have been <laughs> looking forward to our award show literally the entire season. I have been like planning stuff in the background for how it's going to work the whole time. And most of it seems to be coming together. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Uh, it is Sunday uh, at 8 p.m. I don't remember the date off the top of my head because I will pull that up, though. I think it's the 8th. Is it, Sunday, yep, yes, Sunday is the 8th. Sunday the 8th. Yep, Sunday the 8th at 8 p.m. We, uh, we picked a spot where there weren't any, shouldn't be any playoff games still going on. Hershey and Wilkes-Barre Scranton, I think, have a game that day, but it's like a 3 o'clock game. So hopefully by 8 p.m. they aren't playing. But uh, we have nine awards to give out. Um, Best broad, best AHL TV broadcast, best broadcaster, um, best hockey flow, best goalie mask, best coaching staff, uh, best forward, best defenseman, best goaltender, and the Mia Culpa Award, which goes to the team we were the wrongest about in their favor in our preview. <laughs> <laughs> that which, is great. Uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, so we have nine awards, uh, and we actually have physical awards this year that we're mailing to the team, uh, to the players, and to the, the teams that win. <laughs> So they will have a little commemorative, uh, you know, glass puck with our logo and uh, the award on it. So nice. that's pretty cool. I'm sure the team that wins the Mia Copa will treasure that forever as being like, yeah, we have an actual physical award because of how wrong you were. <laughs> and have it to hold over your head for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like that's the thing, too, that I think we've, we've always tried to do a good job of is being accountable. Like when I say when I make goofy picks like San Diego over Ontario, I fully know that when it it blows up in my face, I'm going to have to go on the show and just accept the the wave of Sean's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I, I do enjoy that. I've been looking forward to the, our award show the entire time. If nothing else, uh, you should watch it to see me and Cece in ties 
instead of uh, a jersey and like a hat. So that's a absolutely that, that is awesome. I think it's worth the uh, price of admission. That's going to be on our YouTube channel, 8 p.m. Uh, Sunday, May 8th. And we're really excited about it. The comments do have a bunch of finalists. So uh, we just dropped the uh, finalists for best AHL TV broadcast. And the comments were one of the finalists uh, for that one. So uh, if nothing else, you'll be able to tune in and see if the comments walk away with a, a bunch of hardware from us. Absolutely. that I'm definitely watching. There's no doubt about it. And just for our, our listeners to know, whereabouts can they find the rest of the episodes? Uh, all of our stuff you can find easily at uh, our Linktree page at linktr.ee slash the Calder Farmstead. I usually don't spell the Calder Farmstead for our show, but for your guys, because it's not scrolling everywhere on the page and stuff. It's T-H-E-C-A-L-D-E-R. F-A-R-M-S-T-E-A-D, uh, Calder Farmstead. Should, I mean, if you just search best AHL podcast, we will come up. Absolutely. There it is right there. There we go. All I, right. I actually did a graphic. Can you believe that? Dave was stunned. It was only because <laughs> yeah, I didn't say anything. I, yeah, well, yeah, and I knew that's how he was stunned because usually <laughs> you just can't keep the words out of his mouth. That's it. <laughs> uh, you guys are all, you're all over social media too, right? Oh, yeah. Well, you could find uh, links to our social media there, but we're on Facebook at The Calder Farmstead, on Instagram at The Calder Farmstead, and we're at Twitter at Calder Farmstead because The Calder Farmstead was too many characters, apparently. <laughs> I am still bitter about that. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, we uh, and all our social medias uh, run a little bit differently. So, like when we post memes, they don't always go out on all three of them. Some of them are like just for Instagram or just for Twitter. So, if you want to see all of the goofy stuff that we do, uh, you got to follow us on all three. Beautiful. Well, again, Sean, thanks a million for coming on. And like I said, I will certainly be tuned in Sunday night for those award shows. And I will share it all over the place because I think this is definitely must-see TV and I can't wait to see how the comments did. Absolutely. They're, they have uh, quite a few finalists. So if nothing else, you will get to see you know us talk about them and praise them a bunch on the show. But uh, yeah, I always enjoy coming on. I will come on uh, anytime my schedule allows me, which uh, is probably not as often as i'd like but you know that's the way it works sometimes you guys do a great job here uh, i love catching your show when i do absolutely thank you and you guys are fantastic too and again thanks for coming on and i will certainly have you back on and i'll definitely be in touch all right sounds good man all righty thanks sean appreciate it all right that's sean o'brien from the calder farmstead and ahl podcast always a lot of fun when he comes on yeah always so i'll tell you what why don't we do uh breakaway trivia Commercial, and then we'll wrap up. Okay. How's that sound? Um, All right. I'm good with that. All right. So, your breakaway trivia question. Real, it, it's a, I'm giving you multiple choice. Oh, no. Oh, good. All right. Multiple choice, Dave. I, I can deal with that. You know, since <laughs> we were talking about the NHL playoffs last year, I want to know who's won more Stanley Cups, the Pittsburgh Penguins or the New York Rangers? The answer when we come back. Oh, geez. Give me a break here. That's tough. Visit My Little Falls and stay connected with the latest news, information, and events in the city and the area. Our mission is to generate interest in the community and connect residents in a more meaningful way by facilitating deeper conversations about how these stories will shape the future of the Mohawk Valley. Join thousands of weekly visitors who stay up to date with feature stories, interviews, videos, our event calendar, and print publication, The Mohawk Valley Express. It's about timely local news for the community, keeping 
keeping citizens informed about important issues, telling about the people who live and work here, and giving locally owned businesses the opportunity to reach a very targeted audience of locals and tourists alike. It's a whole new form of media-rich content developed specifically for today's mobile lifestyle and listeners. You can download our iOS app in the iTunes Store, listen to our country music streaming radio station, or sign up for a weekly newsletter. Stop by today at MyFunFalls.com. You'll be glad you did. And we're back. And again, just like I always do, yes. that just gave me my second wind. Ah, good. I feel like I just went on another two hours now. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so breakaway trivia. Once again, real easy. I mean, it's a, it's a multiple choice. I don't normally do this for you. Who's won more Stanley Cups, the Penguins or the Rangers? All right, your dad's probably going to kick my butt if I don't say the Rangers, but... Actually, you I'm know gonna, what? I would add that, that would be pay-per-view right there to <laughs> see you two on it. That would, but I'm not going to pick the Rangers. You're right. <laughs> I don't know why. It was a 50-50 chance. Yeah, I know, I know, but yeah, yeah I'm good at that. Yeah, it was. it's the Penguins. Oh, wow. They've got five. The Rangers have got four. So, and I, I segue that because, like I said, last week we talked about the NHL playoffs, and boy, they had a heck of an opening game. Oh, yeah. Triple overtime. Ah. But, um, and like we were talking about earlier on the show there, Louis Domingue had to come in and, and pinch hit there and finish it out for him. But I still think the Rangers are going to win that series. But you know what? I just wanted to touch on all this just to kind of see how our predictions are going. Yeah. I didn't bring, I, the, I didn't I, bring I, the book, so I'm I, going I, off mine. I thought they were weak. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. But, uh, but no, I mean, the Capitals upset the Panthers in game one. Yeah, I mean that was a surprise. Missed a lot of shots, but hey, I, I still think the Panthers are going to win that one. I mean, the Capitals played about as good as you know, as good a hockey as any team can play, you know, especially on a road playoff game. And you were so happy about the Kings, right? Oh, I'm going to get to that in just a second. Yeah, it was okay. awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, the Avalanche rolled over the uh, Predators like we we said they oh, would. We thought, yeah, the Flames edged the Stars one to nothing. That was interesting to me. Very interesting. Uh, right what, the, now, the closest of the game, or yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I mean, it was a very, very plucky effort by by the stars. Yeah, you know, one another going into Calgary too. We, we we did not pick them. No, <laughs> no, and but you know what, Dave, this is exactly why I was warning you against sweeps. This is why I know. Yeah, right here, those those upsets start happening. And I didn't pick any sweeps. No, I? that's why I said. Remember oh, we yeah, talked yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, I said yeah. no. I said you know this is why I don't like because I mean you know you could have easily just as well picked say. The Rangers to sweep Pittsburgh, oh, you know, or whatever. And guess what? Yeah. Or some people were picking Edmonton to sweep the Kings. No. Yeah. Who won, by the way? Game one. Yeah. yeah. Kings dead. Yeah. 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 And since it's Wednesday night, let's talk about uh, <laughs> what's going to be happening tonight and right now. Uh, the Kings Oilers game two tonight. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, let's see. Right now, the Hurricanes are up three to one on the Bruins in the second period. Yeah. Um, that... You know what? I predicted Boston in seven. It's a good thing I went seven. Yeah. That's all I got to say. And I think I went Boston with you too, didn't I? You yeah, did, but I, did, I think yeah. I think you went six. Yeah. So yeah. this trend keeps up. You're uh, you're gonna need one of those sweeps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring the broom out. Yeah, right. Uh right now the uh lightning and the leafs are playing. The lightning are up two to one. And I will tell you the maple leafs uh stomped them in game one. Five yeah. I couldn't believe that. Was it five nothing? Five nothing. Yeah. Uh it's been a long time since the Tampa Bay Lightning have been punched in the face like that. Yeah. And they did. They got, I mean, 
both literally and on the scoreboard. It was. Do you think that has awakened them? <laughs> I wonder. You know, I wonder. Yeah. It, it's um, it's a very close game right now. Of course, I haven't been able to watch it because I've been doing the show, so I have yeah. to watch the replay. But yeah, well, we could put I a mean, monitor over there and like you know run, we'll have to do that games. next week. Yeah, we'll, yeah, do, we'll do that next week. It, we'll have, you know what? That's what we'll do. We'll have a playoff party right here in the studio. And no, <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Hmm. You're no fun. <laughs> If I, could, if I could figure out how to run it on this back monitor here, you know, we could have the games going silently back here behind us. Of course, then nobody would listen to you. So. <laughs> nobody usually does anyway. Well, that's true. All right. All right. Never mind. <laughs> oh, boy. And the uh, the Blues and the Wild are playing at 930 tonight. Uh, Blues are, have won 4 to nothing, so they're up uh, one nothing in their opening round game. So I thought the Blues were going to win that one, too. Mm. So... So there it is. There's our, our quick NHL wrap-up. Uh, before we go, I just want to give a quick shout-out to the uh, Roanoke Rail Yard Dogs and especially the Peoria Rivermen. Uh, the SBHL playoffs are over with. Uh, the Rail Yard Dogs were, you remember him from oh, yeah. Roy Chambers, right? Yep. Uh, they came in as the eighth seed, the eighth and final seed, and they made it all the way to the final where nice. they fell to Peoria. But uh, close run on the President's Cup, and, uh, you know, we'll, like I said, I have got to get down there next year for a game. That'll be fun. It just looks like a fun fun league to watch. And uh, you know what? I think that'd be a good time like in February to go down to go down south to watch a game. Yeah. When it's like 10 degrees here. Anytime you can get out of here in February. Exactly. <laughs> well, buddy, I got to tell you, like we were uh, talking before we came on the air, I'm just coming off a 36-hour shift at the firehouse, and I am quite tired. So I think we're going to wrap this up. Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Once again, I want to thank Sean O'Brien from the Calder Farmcast and AHL Podcast for coming out of the show and uh, talking about the AHL playoffs with us. Uh, of course, you can find us at martysillegalstick.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. All right, so once again, thank you to Sean O'Brien. For Dave the Save Warner, I'm Scott Kinville. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on Marty's Illegal Stick Hockey Podcast.